This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gains, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthiness word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And that is Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla. And like next to me, like always, the president, eh, Steve, is not here again. <laughs> He is out, so I am running the podcast solo. Um, so, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Bridge has been just uh, flowing with excitement um, with a new building and everything that's just happening. I know we've been talking about it. You know, it's only by uh, God's mercy and his grace that uh, everything happened. And we just want to give thanks to our audience um you know we cannot do this first of all without god and we want to thank you for all the giving that you have uh, provided for uh, bridge uh we have a lot of things in store moving forward so that's super exciting um you know with a uh, seminary uh just things that are uh, we're planning on do- doing in the future with the with a bigger facility uh that's really exciting and again this is all for god's glory this is not about us uh this is about furthering the kingdom so we're are super excited and being obedient to our lord and savior um so uh ladies and gentlemen please don't forget to subscribe to apple android google and stitcher radio and visit our website at bridgemanlaredo.org and we're also now on spotify radio so we are super excited about that i know i've been saying it for like six months but you know it's pretty pretty big deal because uh we just have a uh a new area platform for people uh can hear truth and again i want to thank our worldwide audience uh you know we've been having a lot of listenerships in canada of all places so uh super excited and to all our, our friends in australia europe uh africa south america uh thank you for listening uh as we start getting into a rhythm here uh we should be releasing more podcasts as we start reopening up here uh, after covid you know it's been extremely uh, difficult for many families but uh um as everything gets uh, opened up again, we should be uh, having these podcasts on a more consistent basis. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to have a second time guest. Uh, we're going to have Pastor Chuck Volo. Um, if you guys uh, have never heard of Chuck, uh, he is a friend of the ministry. Uh, he was on episode 87 um, the topic was the balance of a Christian life and ministry. If you guys um, have not listened to the podcast, please go back and listen to that pod- podcast. It was actually, excuse me, it was actually a 
uh, father son duel on that on, on that podcast. So uh, for some of you who know Jeremy, uh, he was also on that podcast. So um, we're going to go ahead and introduce uh, Pastor Chuck Volo. He's in studio uh, today. Uh, so, Pastor Chuck, welcome to Bridge Radio for the second time. Hey, it's great to be back. <laughs> great to see you again and great to be back. So, uh, Chuck, um, you know, I, I, yesterday you were preaching at church and I, I had asked you if you would come on and talk mm. about the subject of, of what to look for a pastor. And I mm. feel that the topic is super important um, just like I was telling you before we started the podcast, I think that there's a lot of people out there, mm. right, who don't have shepherds mm. or are, are, are there are shepherds or pastors who are not doing it correctly. Um, mm. um, but, you know, this is the topic that I think is going to be really important. Mm. Um, but before we begin, um, Chuck, can you just again, just tell a little bit uh, about yourself to our audience? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I was I was converted at, at age 18. And um, I guess just to give an overview of my ministry experience, I, I've been a pastor for over 40 years, I, I think, and uh, pastored for 19 years in, in one particular church. And, and then after that, 15, 16 years ago, God opened up a door uh, to minister to the old order horse and buggy Amish in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which has been wow. a great privilege and thrill to see uh, many Amish come out of a, a legalistic system into a saving knowledge of Christ and and to work to uh, disciple them and teach them. Uh, I've been involved in a church plant in Northern Maryland mm. where I pastored halftime for 10 years and then most recently have uh, been pastoring a, a church uh, a church plant in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, uh, Gospel of Grace Community Church in Kinzers, which is near gap and also the uh, happy name of paradise pennsylvania and i'm pastoring there now living in um, southeastern pennsylvania about an hour west of philadelphia so i just immensely enjoy the ministries that god has given given to me well you know that area is uh, dear to my heart as my wife grew up there and i have visited out there so Mm -hmm. really really love pennsylvania Mm -hmm. very beautiful uh state so so uh pastor chuck why don't we get started here um what do what to look for in a pastor Mm -hmm. what does that look like and what are some of the points yeah that that you have for us today and our listeners Well, to begin with, I, I had noted in the sermon yesterday um, a, a wise statement by an older pastor who said, pastors are not necessary for the being of a church, but for its well-being. Mm. And I think that's clear from uh, a text in the book of Acts on Paul's first missionary journey in Acts fourteen twenty-three. It says, they appointed elders for them in every church, mm. which means they were churches before they had elders. Uh, and the church I was speaking to yesterday is without a pastor, and I, mm. and I wanted to assure them, you are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastors are not needed for the being of the church, but they are necessary for the well-being of a church. Mm. If a church is going to flourish and be effective in bringing glory to Christ and expanding the kingdom, uh, pastors are crucial to that. And so the right pastor who fits God's qualifications for a pastor is crucial to the flourishing of a church. And what I'm focusing on here, not so much 
the qualifications that were read at the outset, mm. but rather uh, I had done a fresh study on what are the duties, what are the responsibilities of a shepherd or elder or overseer. And by the way, all of, all of those terms are synonymous um, in the scripture. You know, uh, I had a question for you, and my wife wanted me to ask you that question. What makes a church a church? Mm. And and I don't mean to throw a curveball at you here, yeah, but what yeah. makes a church? Because you were some people are like, well, if you don't have a pastor, then you're not a church. Yeah, yeah. So what makes a church? Yeah. Well, in our understanding, a church is made up of of born again people, mm. regenerate people. Mm. So to begin with, you need a group of people who have been born again, Amen. who know God savingly through Jesus Christ, mm. and then you you have people who agree to to meet together at regular times uh, to carry out the essential functions of a church, which are uh, to worship God, to be taught the word of God, to fellowship with one another, to bring the gospel to others, both near and far, and, and, and to serve both themselves and do good to all men, and especially to those of the household of faith. So you have a group of born-again believers. They agree to meet regularly together to carry out the functions that the Lord Jesus appointed for a church. I think we can add to that that they, um, they have a common treasury uh, to carry on the functions of the church. And uh, I think if you have a, a covenanted or committed community of believers mm. meeting together to carry out what Jesus wants the church to be and to do, you have a church. All right. Well, thank you, because, uh, um, you know, some people out there might be like, well, well, what do you mean? Like, and I love that you're pointing out in Acts that they were a church first before they had elders, mm. and 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 scripturally we see that. Yeah, yeah. So, so why don't we go ahead and get started with your your first point on what to look for in a pastor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first thing is pastors are to be examples to the flock mm. of God, and I would cite First Peter five, which where Peter says not nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Mm. It's interesting that he sets over against one another, lording it over and being an example. Mm. And you might ask, well, what do those have to do with each other? And I think it comes down to the question of authority. Mm. Uh, what is the source of a pastor's authority? And sadly, in some cases, pastors vest their authority in... Um, their rank, their position, their title, claiming to be the Lord's anointed. And under that guise, they may bully God's people and lord mm. it over them or domineer them. That's something that both Paul and Peter forbid. Over against that is be an example. Mm. A pastor's real authority comes from an exemplary, godly life. Mm. That's where his authority originates. That's where he exercises a true godly power from a godly life, a godly example. And that word tupos in the Greek means uh, a pattern, uh, something that is stamped, a pattern that is to be followed. Mm. And that's why, as uh, those qualifications, as in Titus 1, 5 to 9, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, are given, uh, it says in 1 Timothy 3, an overseer must be and then the list of qualifications. And the reason a pastor must be those things is because all of the people of God ought to be those things. Mm. So it really begins 
with the man's example. He's got to be a godly man, which means before you choose a pastor, you really have to get to know him in Mm. his personal life, his family life, his relationships outside the church. Mm. You just don't want to be impressed by a man who has a flashy personality or is a charismatic personality or a gifted preacher. Mm. That may be good, but you want to look beneath the surface, behind the scenes, who is the man in his personal life, in his family life? Is he going to be an example to the flock? You know, you uh, you, you just mentioned that uh, before mm-hmm. somebody is uh, uh, looking for a pastor, uh, you should talk to his wife and his kid. I really found that interesting because uh, somebody had mentioned, you want to know who a pastor is, you know, because we're, we're all sinners, yes. Um, but go talk to his wife and his kids, and he'll show, they'll tell you who he is. You know, and I and I found that very interesting. But you're right. I mean, uh, and I think you're going to get to this point later on mm-hmm. um, as uh, they are shepherds, and they're going to be in your lives. You know, as the shepherd, he'll be in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. and the and, and that's why it's important to make sure that we know who they are before we bring them in. Um, personality, great preaching, all this other stuff. Yes, that's important, but mm. you are stating the most important, it, one of the most important things is to make sure mm. he says who he really says he is. Yes. Is yes. that correct? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the ideal situation would be to have elders arise from within the congregation, mm. but unfortunately that doesn't always happen. Mm. We are often in a position where we need to call men from outside And that's where it calls for more careful scrutiny. Obviously, if you know from whence he comes, you have a connection with the church that's sending him, you know, you know something of his background, that's an advantage. Uh, So that all determines how much scrutiny you need to subject him to. But you do want to know that he's not just a flashy flashy personality, but he's a truly godly, humble man. And Mm. like you said, his wife knows him best. My wife knows me best. Someone has described wives as flesh detectors. If there's any any element of flesh in me, my wife's going to see it, even when others don't. And and if a wife is able to, who lives with a man, is able to commend a man, I remember from years ago, a man who was a, a very gifted preacher, mm. but he was a hypocrite. Oh. And his wife sadly said, when he preaches, I found a nice tree outside the window that I would like to, uh, I would, I would focus on. She couldn't look at him when he preached because she knew who he was and could not listen to his eloquent, pious language from the pulpit. Now that was very sad. Frankly, she should have exposed him in love before that, but that stands out to me as a glaring example of what should not be. A tragedy. Tragedy. Wow. And he ended up leaving his wife, and it ended very tragically. Um, But it illustrates the point. Uh, My wife needs to be able to to hear me and listen to me because she knows who I am. You know, one thing I appreciate about my wife, she doesn't let me get away with things, you know, and um, she will challenge me when I am out of line or in sin, how I treat her. Um, and, And she's like, hey. You know, you say that you are this hmm. biblically. I don't see you doing this, hmm. you know, and I really appreciate that. And, and it becomes convicting, you know, because I come back and I have to please forgive me. I ha- I've been wrong. Hmm. And 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 that's difficult. 
I, I, you know, like you're it's like, painful. Oh, it's painful. <laughs> it's painful uh, to our pride. Yes, it is. And, and I, I must do that because, uh, I'm in Christ mm-hmm. and I'm, and I need to ask for forgiveness because mm-hmm. I have sinned against my wife in that matter. Mm-hmm. And, but she'll be quick. She will be quick to point that out. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And the thing mm-hmm. is, like you said, you don't like it, mm-hmm. but it must be done. And, yeah. I, and, and, and I'm really grateful for my wife in, in, in that way. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. <laughs> yeah. And our wives are friends to us when they wound us in that way. Now they need to do it respectfully, and as she the does. Bible says. And she does. But, oh, that's a, that's a wife who truly loves you. Yes, she, she does it. She, she, she does do it respectfully, and, and, and I'm always amazed by her uh, in that manner. Mm. So, mm. so uh, Pastor, point number two. Point number two, pastors are to pray for the flock. Mm. The earliest internal struggle that the, the early church had was in Acts chapter 6, where certain Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the serving of food. Mm. And that was a problem that needed to be solved. The apostles, who were the spiritual leaders at that time, we might say the, the pastors, said, choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we might put in charge of this for we must give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they said, there's a need here for these widows to be served, but we're not inclined to do it. Not because they didn't have a heart for it, not because it was beneath their dignity, but because God had given them other priorities. This is where deacons began. The word servant is, the word deacon is the word servant. Mm. And this was the, these were the proto-deacons. Mm. But notice, they said, we must give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And prayer is mentioned first. And I think that becomes an example to pastors Mm. that one of the duties they have toward the flock is to pray for the people of God under their care. Mm. And the Apostle Paul is a wonderful example. In virtually all his letters to the churches, he tells them how he is praying for them. And in almost every one... To the Corinthian church, I thank my God always concerning you. To the Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. To the Colossians, we give thanks to God, praying always for you. To the Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always, making mention of you in our prayers. And I was struck some years ago by the fact that Paul, before he prays, he thanks God for them. And it's been my pattern to try, as I pray for the people in my flock, to first give thanks for something about them before I even pray for them. I think that helps a pastor to to have goodwill and good thoughts toward the people he is caring for. But we are to pray for them. And when you think about it, that is one of the best things we can do for anyone because there are things that only God can do in their lives. I can speak to their ears, but God is the one who must assure them of his love for them in Christ. God is the one who must empower them to resist temptation. And God is the one who must grant repentance to them when they sin. And so I'm calling upon the only one who can really do any effective work in the hearts of his people. And so to pray for the people of God under your care is an important responsibility. Sometimes we forget that, right? Mm-hmm. The power of prayer. Uh, that God, we pray and let God do the work. Because sometimes we want to do the work, yeah. or we want to be able to do it in our own strength, forgetting mm. that the the only power that we have is is only the one that God. Uh, hold on, let me rephrase that. 
God is the one who has the power, mm-hmm. like you just said. So, you know, and sometimes we want to do it in our own strength. Yeah. And yeah. we will fail when that yeah, happens. Yeah. Remember Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Yes. God did the heavy lifting. God uses means. I planted the seed. Yeah. You know, we're called to preach, teach. Apollos followed up, but the real work, the deep work, the spiritual work was done by God. So he gets all the glory. He does. And I love, I love, I love that verse because, you know, everybody's like, I'm for Apollos, I'm, I'm for Paul, you know, and, 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 and he has to go around and tell him, it doesn't matter. It's Christ. Mm. <laughs> don't worry. Don't look at your pastor. <laughs> you know, don't look at me. Don't look at Apollos. Mm. Look at Christ. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We want, we want to be instruments, but we are only instruments. Only instruments. Yeah. That's, that's really good stuff. Uh, so let's move on to point number three. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, was something I, I, I came upon as I was preaching through Paul's first letter to Timothy. Um, pastors are to structure the life of the church. Mm, that's good. Um, earlier on, we talked about well, what is a church? A church is a worshiping community to gather for public corporate worship. The church is a preaching, teaching, therefore learning community. The church is a fellowshipping community. We have all those one another responsibilities. The church is an evangelizing community. We're all under the Great Commission to make disciples of the nations, and the church is a serving community. So a church is to do all these things. How? When? Well, the church needs to structure its life, its schedule, to accomplish these things. Whose job is that? I say it's the job of the overseers, the elders, the leaders of the church, to structure the life of the church to accomplish the things that King Jesus wants the church to be and to do. Mm-hmm. And I found that in 1 Timothy, as Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, Paul's going to tell Timothy how to do church yeah. there in Ephesus. And what does he tell him? Chapter 2, verse 1, first of all, I, I, I want you to uh, prayer to be made on behalf of all men. Timothy, establish a prayer meeting in the church. Uh-huh. Chapter 4, 13, until I come, give attention to the public reading, to exhortation and teaching. I want there to be teaching in, in the church. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. So he's telling Timothy to arrange the meetings of the church. He assigns roles. I want the men to lift up holy hands. I want the women to you know, dress modestly, et cetera. So he's assigning roles and responsibilities. And then it's in that letter that he gives the uh, qualifications for appointing leaders. And so he's telling Timothy how to do church, how to structure the life of the church. And so that's the job of elders. Jesus is the head of the church. We take our marching orders from him. He tells us what he wants the church to be and do. Then it's my job as a pastor to carry that out to make the schedule. And of course, pastors want to do that with sensitivity to the people. Mm. How often do we meet? What times do we meet? But we need to incorporate into the life of the church, make sure that we're doing worship, Godward worship. Make sure that the word is being preached and taught. Make sure that there's prayer being made. Make sure that, that we're facilitating evangelism and outreach and service. So structuring the life of the church is another responsibility of, uh, of the elders. Mm. That's, uh, that's, mm. that's so, w- when, when I'm hearing that, I was like, wow, like 
there, when you just read your Bible, it's all there, you mm-hmm. know, and, and yeah. we read our, we do read our Bibles, right? And sometimes we just oversee some of these uh, details. And I, and I was just like, I know it's there. I just never just thought through mm-hmm. how well a Bible is clear on structuring the church, you know, mm-hmm. and, but bringing that up is just, mm-hmm. it was just very, very, uh, uh good for me and we might say there's a lot of flexibility there Mm, you know some churches have a prayer meeting on wednesday night some on sunday evening yeah we sunday afternoon after our fellowship lunch and there's a lot of flexibility yes um you know acts 242 after three thousand were converted on the day of pentecost they continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching fellowship breaking of bread and the prayers so a church needs to have apostolic doctrine. They need to facilitate fellowship. They need to do the ordinances, you know, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and they need to give themselves to prayer. When they do that, how often, a lot of flexibility. Yes. So we don't say, well, our church does it the only right way. Yes. But a church needs to be doing all of those things to carry out the will of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. Yes. Wow. That's great stuff. Um, Now uh, let's move on to point number four. Hmm. Yeah, as I, I studied this afresh a few years ago, I, I, I surveyed the New Testament as to the responsibilities of pastors, and I found a bunch of words that come under the heading of pastors are to care for the flock. Mm. Just a general heading, they're to care for the flock. Some of the words were these. One was they are to oversee the flock. Um, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, 1 Peter 5, 2, Acts 20, 28, um, all the flock of God among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The spiritual leader is called an overseer, the mm-hmm. word episkopos, from which mm-hmm. we get episcopal. Um, so one responsibility is just a general oversight of the church. Another word is be on guard for, Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. And then in the next verse, he says, savage wolves are going to arise among you. Being on guard for the flock is a protective function. Mm. Pastors are to protect the flock from spiritual wolves, false teachers, heretics. Take care of is another word, 1 Timothy 3, 5. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And that's the word used to describe the good Samaritan who cared for that man who was wounded and bloodied and beaten up on the road. He took care of him. Um, And that doesn't mean, you know, our people are going to be beaten up and bloodied, but (laughs) in a spiritual sense, we're to take care of those who are wounded. Um, Rule is another word, rule. Proiste me. Uh, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Um, that doesn't mean domineer, but it means to superintend, to preside, to lead. And another word is keep watch. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, um, submit to them. They keep watch over your souls. It has the idea of being sleepless, keeping awake, being attentive to. So all of these words I put under the canopy, they are to care for the flock, look after, pay careful attention to, take care of, preside over, keep watch regarding. Mm. That means you've got shepherds who are not aloof and distant. They don't just come out from behind the curtain, preach a sermon, and then disappear. They are in your life. As one has put it, they have their fingers in the wool of the sheep Mm. because they care about you. They're in your home. Uh, Paul says in Acts 20, 20, uh, 
teaching you publicly and from house to house. They're visiting you on some regular basis, just like I try to get a physical every year, uh, a physical checkup. Pastors, faithful pastors are on some regular basis, depending on the size of their flock, um, doing pastoral visitation, visiting you, just coming and saying, how are things? How are you doing? How's your walk with God? How's the marriage? How are things in the family? How are you using your gifts? Mm. They're, they're doing a spiritual checkup, obviously counseling in, in, in crisis needs and hospital visitation. They're caring for you personally, not just publicly. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really good. Mm. Cause, um, I feel that, uh, I mean, there is nothing new under the sun, but uh, I feel like we live in a day and age that um, some people would cringe at their pastors coming in their home and because they feel they might be exposed, you know, um, just like your pastor, so-and-so is coming, like, you know, make sure you don't tell them this or maybe yeah. you don't tell them that. Dust off the Bible on the, on the coffee table, right? And, you know, I work with the Amish and sadly the Amish are, are very committed. They're very legalistic. Oh, wow. And... Um, it's a, it's a community of fear because if you're not keeping the rules, you're in danger of being shunned. Wow. And for them, when they hear the clippity-clop of the horses coming into the driveway because the bishop and the minister is coming, it's a fearful time because the only time they come is because you're in trouble. Oh, You've been going wow. to a Bible study or we, we discovered you went to a tent meeting or something. And so pastoral visitation for the Amish is not a happy event. It's like wow. you're in trouble. We're here you know, to question you, to interrogate you, and it should not be. As a pastor, I'm your friend. Yeah. Paul said, I'm not lording it over you, but being a worker with you for your joy. Wow. I'm here to help you to heaven. I'm your friend. I'm coming alongside you. I love you. I care for you. I'm here to help. And when people sense that, they will welcome pastoral visits. And, and that's why, mm. uh, do you believe that this is why abusive pastors, um, domineering pastors, uh, it, it, it becomes a detriment to the flock Oh yeah. when this happens, because <clears throat> how are you going to let somebody in your home when you know that this is going on with mm. this pastor and saying, just coming on them, just harsh mm. and, you know, I wouldn't want to let anybody like that in my home yeah, or, right. or, or, or care for me, yeah, you know, cause yeah. I wouldn't be able to trust them because yeah. you're just abusive yeah, yeah, and, 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 and maybe in a very subtle way. Yes. I was just thinking that it, uh, abuse can be subtle. Mm. And one subtlety is when pastors are not approachable, mm. wisdom is easy to be entreated. And it's impressed upon me in recent years that one of the sources of gossip in a church is when pastors are not approachable, mm. when pastors are too proud to receive criticism and people come to them perhaps seeing an imbalance or a flaw and the pastor bristles, the pastor reacts with pride, he's not approachable and people leave unsatisfied wow. and it's stirring within them and perhaps they don't want to gossip but they're frustrated. I can't talk to my pastor. I can't approach him. He won't listen to me. And then sadly, because of the sin in our hearts, it leaks out in the form of gossip. Wow. And I really believe that I as a pastor am responsible for stifling a lot of gossip in the church. If people know I'm approachable, you can come to me. If you see a flaw in me, if you see an imbalance in my ministry, bring it to me. I want to be easy to be entreated. I want to be humble. I want to receive you. I want to listen to you. 
when people find you approachable, they're not frustrated. Yeah. And then they the word gets out, you can talk to pastor so-and-so. Yeah. No, don't be afraid, because people can be intimidated by pastors yeah. just because of their position yes. or because of their past experience. Yeah. And word gets out, no, you can talk to this pastor. He'll hear you. He won't bite your head off. Yeah. <laughs> he won't bristle with pride. He won't put you down. Yeah. And then word gets out. And I believe it, it creates a climate of, of, of peace and contentment and it stifles the gossip and the strife that often arises. I think a lot of the blame lies at the doorstep of, of pastors who are unapproachable. That's a form of abuse because you're not willing to hear people. And one characteristic of abusive churches, I read in this book um, called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, is when people come with a problem, some leaders deflect attention from themselves and the person bringing the concern becomes the problem yeah and they focus on oh you didn't come in the right way and all of a sudden the one who sees the problem and calls attention to it becomes the troublemaker wow that is so abusive so let's just park it here for a second on that um because um um there would be times there are there there could be possibly troublemakers at church right mm -hmm. and the pastor is in the right yeah right so how do how does a church handle that? Because um, yes, now the pastor is deflecting mm -hmm. on to the the person bringing up to the pastor is like, hey, um, can I talk to you? And hopefully they're doing it respectfully with love, mm -hmm. um, and and saying, pastor, uh, one thing that I'm a little concerned about with you is whatever that might be. It um, how does somebody who is approaching a pastor to point out these things? with love because that can be extremely intimidating with somebody that maybe doesn't have the personality. And if the pastor is really, a, is, you know, has a strong character, a strong presence, mm -hmm. uh, can be intimidating. Um, and how, how would you, for our listeners out there that might be struggling with that, uh, our worldwide audience and say, Hey, like, I know there's something wrong. I love this church. Uh, you know, our pastor's not perfect. I do want to bring this things up, but, I just, um, I'm afraid because I know how he is as far as maybe being his character or, you know, who knows, there might be gossip running around mm -hmm. about how he is and you can't let him know that stuff because he's the pastor. You can't tell him what to do, mm -hmm. or, you know, kind mm -hmm. of attitude, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So the question is how to approach how to approach a pastor that needs to be told that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, I think... I, I counsel people, whenever you're going with a criticism or a correction, front load it with words of appreciation. Mm. Uh, that's always good. Okay. Um, you know, I, and it's right. It's right. Because there's usually a lot of good. And to come and say, you know, pastor, I really have appreciated this and that about your, your ministry. Now, a pastor's going to sense there's a but coming. There's yeah. a however coming. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Still, because here's the thing. I, if a person is only and ever critical of me, I tend to tune them out because they probably do not have an accurate perception of me. Mm. Because even though I'm a sinner and I have flaws, yes. I know that I also am useful and do good things. It's the person who perceives the good that I am doing and also perceives the flaws that is most worthy to be listened to because they probably have a more correct perception. And if someone's, if someone's only negative, 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 I tend to tune them out and yeah. perhaps rightly, 
But when a person comes and says, you know, Pastor, I really appreciate this about your ministry and you've really blessed me here, you think, well, that person is seeing the good, but they're also seeing some flaws. Mm. I think anyone is more inclined to listen to them then. So front load it with words of appreciation whenever you can. Speak respectfully. It's always wise to ask questions rather than make assertions. Yes. Um, My my, my wife has taught me that real well. Ask questions, you know, because sometimes we can jump to conclusions or assume things where they're really not there. Yeah, yeah. But then, no matter how a person comes, here's a passage that tells a pastor how to respond. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 5. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So no matter how a person comes, a pastor is never allowed to be other than patient and kind and gentle. So even though I may not like the way a person's coming at me, that's no excuse to respond in kind. And I think what will happen is if you have a cantankerous person in the flock and they come and the pastor is consistently kind and gentle, the people of God will come to see that that person is the problem. Yes. Not pastor so-and-so. Yes. Because I know what pastor so-and-so is like. And if this person begins to criticize pastor so-and-so, they're going to say, wait a minute, I know pastor so-and-so. The problem is not with pastor so-and-so. The problem is with this person. And hopefully then that person can be dealt with properly by the leaders and by the people. Yeah. And and they can be either reformed and changed or purged from the congregation. Yeah. And and I think that a a discerning pastor would probably go to the other elders if there's a plurality of elders there and the deacons and say, you know, hey, uh, do you see this in me? I just want to make sure uh, this has been brought up to my attention. Uh, please let me know if I am wrong in this situation or whatever it might be. But you're right. I, I think that uh I think that a solid church would flush that out correctly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I love my my little church. The people are so gracious and there's such a climate of graciousness and peace and, and unity, even though there are differences. And if somebody comes with really gross carnality, mm, it's gonna stand out. Yeah. And I think a faithful biblical ministry will create a climate of people who, who love each other. Yeah. And no, they're not perfect. But but and when there's gross carnality, it will stick out like the proverbial, you know, sore thumb. Yeah. And then I think a healthy but, church would will show grace to that person who might be new and just excited. Oh and, yeah. And just in this in the stage that they're yeah. just excited and, and don't know. And I think uh, and I think this is why uh, discipleship and and teaching is so important, and yeah. that they bring along mm-hmm. these people with love. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to point number five. Five of six. <laughs> Pastors are to feed the flock of God with the Word of God. Mm. So we talked about all these responsibilities to care for, oversee, preside, but the question is, how do they do that? And the the answer is with the Word. Of God, mm. and there are two words that that f- describe a pastor's responsibility here, and the one is shepherd. Mm. It's both a noun and a verb, and uh, we read in Acts twenty twenty eight to shepherd the church of God, First Peter five to shepherd the flock of God, in Ephesians four eleven spiritual leaders are called shepherd teachers, and the word shepherd means to furnish pasturage or food to nourish 
Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the um, chief shepherd, and the shepherd and guardian of our souls. He is the supreme shepherd, and he feeds us. The language of Psalm 23 may come to mind of the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And what does he do? He brings us into green pastures, quiet waters, restoration of the soul, guides us into paths of righteousness. All of this is done with the word of God. Mm. And so the central responsibility of the pastor is to teach and preach and counsel with the word of God. He is to be a man who is all about the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. And here's the next statement, that the man of God, and that's a technical word for the spiritual leader, not just the godly man, but the man of God. Elijah and Elisha were called the man of God. So Mm -hmm. you have this man in leadership, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Mm -hmm. That's the one tool of his trade. Men have different jobs. They have different tools that they use. Your wife is a dentist and she has tools that she uses. Um, The pastor has one tool, and that's the Word of God. He's to preach it and teach it and counsel it. Uh, I noted yesterday that it was said of John Bunyan that you can prick him anywhere and his blood would flow bibline. 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 (laughs) And so, um, and as I mentioned earlier, Paul says, in Acts 20, 28, teaching publicly and from house to house. Some have called that 2020 vision. You know, but the word of God, the pastor needs to be a man of the word supremely. That's how he cares for. That's how he protects. Um, that's how he oversees the flock with the word of God. Mm. Can you just talk a little bit of the importance of expository preaching? I don't, don't need to get into like why doing it, but you mentioned it a little bit, uh, the mm. importance of why is it is important to do expository preaching, not that topical uh, mm. sermons are bad or anything like that, and they right. have their place for them, you said, but yeah. can you just expound on that a little bit? Yeah, expository preaching, um, expounding the scripture is, is just understanding every portion of scripture in its context. Mm. So my message yesterday was topical. Mm. I didn't deal with one passage, I dealt with many passages. Yes. It was ex- true exposition if I was dealing with each passage properly in its context. Yes. But I think what you're referring to is systematic expository preaching, mm. where a pastor preaches systematically through a book of the Bible or a literary unit, yeah. like the Sermon on the Mount. What are the advantages to that? Well, Paul talks about declaring to them the whole counsel of God. Mm. And The danger of not doing that is a pastor can easily preach the things that he's comfortable with, his Mm. hobby horses. And he can, you know, hammer on the same themes again and again, because I I like preaching on this. I I know this topic, but he avoids all kinds of other topics. When you're preaching systematically through a book of the Bible, you have to preach what's next, whether you like it or not, whether you're familiar with it or not. And that gives the people of God a balanced diet. You're also understanding the verse in its in the context of the book. And it just has a lot of advantages to give people a systematic knowledge of the whole counsel of God. It's it's the best way to preach. Like you said, there are exceptions. Sometimes a series on a particular topic is yeah. needed yeah. and you can part from that. But the general diet should be systematic exposition of books of the Bible 
So you understand each book, how it fits in with the whole of the Bible. You understand each verse as it fits in with the context of the, the chapter and the book. It just is the best way to give people a balanced diet of the whole counsel of God. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's really good. You know, uh, as just talking to you uh, yesterday after church, I was letting you know that I, ca- I came into re- Reformed theology. I was sitting at a church in, in Chicago, which is a great church. Uh, the pastor there is my my friend, um, and and I I saw the difference in expository preaching versus topical. Right. Uh, I know that my friend who's there now is doing expository preaching, but before it wasn't like that. It was more topical. And, and, and I saw how the word, how the shepherd, uh, flocked the sheep when he was doing that type of preaching. And, and I was like, wow, this is different. You know, this is not just for Wednesday night Bible study. This is Sunday and, 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 and expounding on it in its context. And it's in, and and it's just been a, a blessing, and and I just feel that, mm-hmm. and it's how it was done through time in mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We we see we see Jesus, and please correct me, when he, he when he's in the sitting in the temple, and and he is uh, uh, pr- uh, preaching out of Isaiah, and he said all these things has been fulfilled today. He was preaching, I believe, as I read uh, expositorily out of the the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to the. the well, let, la- let me round this one. You want to round it? All right. Uh, you know, when it comes to the word, okay. Because there's a beautiful passage in John 21, mm. 15 to 17 that highlights the fact that pastors are to feed the flock with the word of God. Mm. Peter had tragically betrayed Jesus three times over mm. a charcoal fire, mm. and the Lord graciously restored Peter over a charcoal fire where he had prepared a breakfast of fish. And his words, his threefold restoration to Peter, which corresponded with his threefold denial of Jesus. Yes. Tend my lambs, Mm. shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. The word shepherd, we've talked about, it means to provide pasturage, to Mm. feed. But it's also a broader word, you know, uh, that, that refers to giving guidance. The word on the end, the book ends, tend my lambs, tend my sheep is the Greek word bosco, and it only means to feed. Mm. And it just highlights the fact that the primary responsibility of the pastor, the shepherd, is to feed the people of God with the word of God. That's the food that will nourish them. That's the medicine that will heal them. That's the weapon that will protect them from false teaching, the Word of God. So you want a pastor to be a man of the Word of God. He's not one spouting his own opinions, Mm. but when you come to him for counsel, when you listen to him teach and preach, he's giving you, as one pastor once said, 16 ounces to the pound, (laughs) the Bible. Wow, that's great stuff. Number six. Yes, let's go. Um, pastors are to equip the flock of God. Mm. In Ephesians four eleven and 12, we're told that the ascended Christ, having arrived at heaven, been exalted to the Father's right hand, gave gifts to men. In that context, he gave men as gifts. Mm. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, 
some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers. And then the next verse says, why did he give these? Of course, apostles and prophets, we have the scriptures. Earlier, he says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Evangelists are probably missionaries, those who carry the gospel to unreached areas. But then pastor teachers, what do they do? They are for the equipping of the saints unto the work of ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ. Many modern commentaries, and I agree, understand that the pastor's role is to equip the saints who in turn do the work of ministry, the result, the body is built up. And I made the point yesterday that even though I as a pastor am uniquely a minister, I'm a minister of the gospel, I'm a minister of the word of God as Paul was, every Christian is a minister Mm. and has a ministry according to their gifts. Mm. And this is exciting, and I think it's, it's really needed. I am a trainer. I am a coach. All the people of God have gifts, and my job is to equip them to do the ministry that God has called them to do. And so that means that the pastor is not the one doing all the ministry. The church is not top-heavy. He has a unique role mm. to preach and teach and feed the flock, and to equip the flock. But it's exciting to think that all the people of God have gifts and you want to um, them to discover their gift, develop their gift, and deploy their gift in the service of the body and in reaching the lost. So it's my job to encourage people to, to be active in ministry according to their own gift and their own passion mm. and not stifle it. Sometimes churches are top-heavy where pastors are, are too controlling and they mm. stifle people. I like to say that there's a time for the spurs and there's a time for the, the bit and bridle. Mm. Most often, we as pastors are in a spur mode. We want mm. to spur the people to use their gifts, to stir up their gift, to, to start ministries. Now, if it gets out of control and it gets a little wild and they start coloring outside the lines, <laughs> yeah. okay, you know, use the bit and bridle, but yeah. that's usually not the case. I want I want to stimulate my people to to do ministry so that we're a ministering body and not just, you know, ministering from the top. Yeah, and uh, for, for our listeners, you know, I, I would encourage you to get involved in your church. You know, sometimes uh, just 10% of the, uh, of the people at church do 100% of the work, mm-hmm. um, and we're, we're not supposed to just sit down and just take, uh, take, 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 and not mm-hmm. give. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very much a danger of that. Yeah. First Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, as each has received a gift, employ it from one another as good stewards of the manifold or literally multicolored grace of God. Mm. And then it, it gives the two broad categories. He who speaks, let him utter the oracles of God. He who mm. renders service by the power that God supplies. The two broad categories of spiritual gifts are speaking gifts and serving gifts. Mm. And then that's broken down in more detail in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But every church is a charismatic community in yeah. the sense that charis means gift. Every church is gifted. Every believer is gifted. Yeah. And it's a pastor's job to try to stir up those gifts so that people are not drones, but they're actively involved according to their gift and passion. Yeah, and and it's all f- <clears throat> it's all for the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our King, our God, and our Savior. Yes, that's the work that we do upon. It's mm-hmm. for Him, mm-hmm. you know, not for 
for us to, you know, show off our gifts, nothing like that. It's just to serve a holy God mm. and it's all for his glory and not our glory, mm. you know, not mm. to put ourselves out there and look at me, look at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm. sometimes we can get lost in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there any anything else you would like to add to that last point, uh, Pastor Chuck? Well, um, I, I'm sorry. It's something I have I haven't focused on uh, longer term. I mm-hmm. think uh, earlier on in my ministry, I wasn't as focused on that. <clears throat> in later years, I think I've become more focused on this equipping function, yeah. and and it's exciting uh, to. Um, to help people to discover their spiritual gift, uh, everybody's gifted, and to encourage them to develop that gift and to use that gift. Um, it's just a, a role that it, uh, that is, is my responsibility as a, as a pastor. Wow. Amen. Well, Pastor Chuck, uh, Romans ten fourteen says, uh, how would they call on him who they not believe, and how would they believe in whom they have not heard, and how would they hear without a preacher. Mm. Can you share the gospel to our worldwide audience mm-hmm. this morning? Yeah. You know, the gospel begins with the question, who is God? And God in the Bible is an infinitely holy God <clears throat> whose standard is one of absolute perfection mm-hmm. and whose standard we can never meet. It's a bar we can never jump over. Um, if someone were to give me a multi-million dollar home, as a gift, and I were to rummage into my wallet and say, oh, I can't take this as a gift. Uh, Here, here's $5. Oh, I think I have a 10. I have a few ones here. It would be an absolute insult to them because it doesn't come close to paying for the multi-million dollar home that Mm -hmm. he's giving me. That's what it's like when we think that we can earn salvation, when we can meet the standard of God by our own good works and performance. We can't. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot save ourselves. We can never be good enough to meet God's standard. Does that mean nobody can ever reach heaven? No, because God in his grace made a way to bridge the gap between sinful man and and holy God, and that is by sending Jesus Christ, who is God, became man, lived the perfect life that we could not live to meet the standard of God's law, and then offered himself up as a sacrifice to die in the place of sinners, so that when I recognize that I am a sinner, I fall short of the glory of God, I've offended God, I've rebelled against God, I've turned to my own way, as the Bible says, and I say, I see that Jesus Christ has died for sinners and I put my trust in him alone. God takes all of my sin, past, present, and future, puts it on Jesus. He gets punished for my sin and in exchange, God gives me his perfect record of righteousness credited to me. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that in him, by faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. The way of forgiveness, the way of salvation, put your, turn from your sin and your rebellion, put your faith in Jesus, and God will forgive your sins, credit you with his righteousness, that righteousness which will get you into heaven. It, it will give you a relationship to God now, and it will get you into heaven when you die. That's the good news of the gospel. Not only does God forgive us, though, he sends his spirit to live within us. He changes us. He, he reorients our life. So we come to love what we once hated and hate what we once loved. The Bible describes a Christian as a new creation. Wow. Amen. Uh, 
Pastor Chuck Vole, thank you very much for taking the time to come in studio today mm. uh, as you're visiting in town to do this podcast. Uh, I know My that, pleasure. I know that people will be thoroughly blessed from this podcast. Mm. I was blessed yesterday from your sermon. Uh, Pastor Chuck, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and if they had any more questions or needed some advice, uh, where can they find you if you want to be found? I always say that to mm. our, mm. our to our to our mm. authors. Yeah, <laughs> and listen. yeah. I, I'm glad to be found. Um, uh, not that I'm lost, but <laughs> I'm glad to be found by anyone. I, I would love to uh, c- communicate with any of you. Uh, if you Google my name, you'll find a host of things. Mm. Chuck Volo, that's V as in Victor, U-O-L-O. looks like Vuolo. But my, my email is chuckvolo at gmail.com. I would be happy to hear from any of you. Well, there you go. There you go, guys. Uh, please, if you have any more questions or any other questions, please reach out to Chuck Volo, uh, and he would be more than uh, happy to reply. Uh, again, if he gets a whole bunch of emails, give him some time to reply. You know, so uh, thank you for coming on again. My pleasure, um, and and hope to have you back on in the future. Uh, maybe some on some other topics. We look forward to that. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Pastor Chuck Volo on what to look for in a pastor. Man, uh, going through that list, uh, I hope that you guys, uh, if you guys are looking for a pastor uh, and 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 you need a, or you're looking for an elder, whatever it is that uh, you guys are uh, holding uh, uh, a new pastor or potential pastor to these standards. These are biblical standards. This is what uh, the Bible, this is what the scripture says. What a shepherd, elder, pastor should look like. And I hope that this podcast would be a, a guide for you guys. Um, again, praying, praying for God to send you a shepherd. Uh, it's going to be uh super super important so uh i really i really hope that you guys were blessed um, by that podcast i definitely was and and hopefully in the future as uh you know god has uh, moved us around um in this country and we've been exposed to good leadership and bad leadership at the same time um and and, and again you know the shepherd the the shepherd is a servant you know we should not be abusive, manipulative, authoritative in a sense, in a bad way. Um, the, the, the shepherd is a servant of his flock. So, well, guys, uh, please don't forget to uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. As uh, we're always release, releasing uh, new stuff, new content uh, there uh, uh, every day. So please check us out. And guys, like we always like to end our show, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next week.